Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Vanessa Sheely. Vanessa is a critically acclaimed writer, graphic novelist, playwright, screenwriter, actor, and creator of things. She just recently completed her indie middle grade sci-fi comic book, Cory Vine, about a nerdy girl living on the moon faced with extraordinary obstacles and adventures, which she co-wrote with Leah Levis. Cory Vine is available on Comixology now, and she's also just finished post-production on the short film Naked, which she wrote and co-directed. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. You're in New York City. I know that. How does New York City kind of affect you as a writer? Tell us kind of all about (laughs) that. You're originally from Oklahoma, right? Yeah, I'm originally from Oklahoma City, but I've lived in New York for... 20 years now. So um, I do feel like New York is home. And yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful day today. It's cold out, but the sun is out. And yeah, it's great living in New York. It's great to be able to like, basically, all of my neighbors are artists of some kind, you know, and I live way up in Washington Heights. So it's not even like I'm down in the East Village or something, you know, just like, there's so many people that are busy creating. And so yeah, it's a good energy and a good vibe. So the energy around you of other people helps? I think so. Yeah, I do. And it's, um, I mean, like I'm involved with a couple of, um, you know, playwright, writer groups and stuff like that. So that's definitely a benefit of living in the city. And of course, getting to go out and see so many great performances and plays and just kind of be surround yourself. There's like never ending supply of excellent writing and art, people doing exciting things. So I do love that about the city. Now, I briefly mentioned in your bio that you write in a lot of different mediums. I described kind of who you are, but sometimes my descriptions don't always tell the full story. Would you mind telling us from your own perspective how you describe who you are and what you do? (laughs) Oh, sure. I think I probably, that description is probably evolving all the time. (laughs) I, so my background is, uh, was as an actor that was, you know, I went to school for acting and performance art. So that I got my undergrad in theater back in Oklahoma. And then I went to grad school and got an MFA in performance from the University of Georgia. And then immediately after that, came to New York and spent probably the first about five years doing really exclusively, you know, performing, you know, worked a lot in TV commercials. I think that's the, I think that's the New York actors, like, you know, back pocket, like if you can live off acting, it's because you booked a commercial. So like if you can book a commercial, especially back when I first moved here, like it's different now because there's so many different outlets, but even just in the in that short amount of time, relatively speaking, a short amount of time, you know, if you could book one commercial in a year, you could kind of like live on that, coast on that for a while. So I was working as an actor and doing a lot of plays and a little TV, but mostly doing TV commercials and some theater. And then right around, oh, 2004, I guess, I decided that I, I really wanted to start thinking about doing a one-person show and putzing around with different ideas and um, was always interested in that form, the, the one-person extended monologue, and uh, really wanted to write something for myself. 
and started to do that, but then it kind of took a turn and I ended up writing my first play that year, which was a two-hander called Tea in the Afternoon, which is a two-character play that I loosely based on a number of experiences that I had recently gone through. It's about a young woman who encounters an, an elderly relative and has to, you know, there's kind of like a lot of backstory in terms of like finding out that woman, you know, the information from that woman who's suffering from dementia. And the young woman is quite fearful that one day, you know, she's also going to have dementia, but at the same time really needs some answers in the, in the moment. And that was very true to, I mean, it was fictionalized, of course, but it was very true to some experiences that I had just been going through as I moved to New York. So anyway, so I wrote that. That was my first play. It was a 90 minute play and I produced it in the New York Fringe Festival. And then from that experience, got invited to be in a uh, writer's workshop at the Actors Studio in New York. And that kind of really sparked my drive to write more plays. So I, uh, I met a really terrific director in that group named Melissa Atterbury, and she and I collaborated together on another project called American Drum Circle, which was a larger ensemble play. And then again on another play called One, Two, Whatever You Do. And then sort of in the middle of those, those are, those are full-length plays. Uh, also some, some short pieces that I submitted around to different theaters around the country. And also never let go of the one-person show idea. I wrote a, a short play called Naked, which was a monologue, and then another short uh, that I performed called Captive Audience that I also performed. So yeah, never lost that love of the one-person show. And then, and then since that time, you know, I have started to collaborate with a theater company here in New York called Emerging Artists Theater, and I curate a one-person show festival for them. And so that's exciting. And then from there, you know, from like sort of my background in acting and then playwriting, kind of just started to branch out to other mediums, you know, because playwriting and acting sort of had the same feeling to me, like you're kind of imagining yourself as you're writing, like, you know, almost performing these roles, like it really informed the writing. So um, from then it's, you know, and it's all just dialogue and it's very visual storytelling process. And so, so I took a couple of workshops in writing for TV and I I turned around some TV spec scripts for, uh, I really wanted to, I was really eager to write some comedy because um, two of my, most of my plays had sort of been, you know, I always try to infuse some humor and everything, but they had been really dramatic genres. They were, they were dramas. And so I wrote a spec for The Office that was back when that, when that was still in the air, and then another spec for Modern Family, and just loved writing that. I mean, I felt like I was too, you know, it's not something that I wanted to necessarily pursue in terms of like, I'm ready to now go try to write for TV, but it really informed me as a writer, um, you know, kind of turning to that, like all of my projects up to that point had been completely personally invented. And so then to like, oh, now I'm writing in a different formula. I'm taking your formula and your story and and writing plots for predetermined characters and predetermined seasons, you know, trying to find a a spec that would fit into a a season. And I found that a really wonderful and fun exercise to do. And and I think it was that exercise of doing that that really got me jazzed to uh, write the graphic novel that you mentioned, Corey Vine, that I just completed with Leah Levis. And I found that the kind of writing for TV and that super visual descriptive writing and, and quick action really sort of like was a jumping off point for me to start writing our graphic novel. That's kind of my, I guess that wasn't really a nutshell because I, I feel like I don't know a while, but that was, that's kind of been my trajectory across different mediums. And then you just finished post-production on the short film Naked. I assume that's inspired by the play. It is. Okay. Yeah, it is. We, um, as I mentioned, I, so I wrote that as a, as an extended monologue and it's really about a, a young woman who, she walks into an artist studio 
thinking in the, as the one person show, she walks into, so a woman walks into a room and she is there because she is about to pose naked for an art class and um, realizes when she walks in that there's actually no class there and she's just posing naked for one individual. So this kind of feeling of anonymity that she thought she was coming into is very suddenly personalized and intimate and she has a very hard time disrobing and really has to like nervously talk and talk and talk herself into getting the courage up to take off her clothes for this single individual. And through that talking, she reveals all kinds of information about herself. And we discover that she is basically here to do this thing, this, you know, posing naked for an art student, um, because she's trying to get back to this feeling of wanting to be a creator and wanting to get back to her art. And this, you know, she just recently had a a child who has a developmental disability. And so she, she's just kind of like, you know, kind of trying to get that part of herself back. And that was a very real, you know, very sort of a, you know, an analogy for where I was at that point in my life. My, I have a, a now 11 year old son with autism. And I was at the time really trying to juggle like, okay, so how am I going to stay close to this drive that I have to continue to create, to continue to write? But, you know, this is such an all consuming life event for me. So, um, so that the monologue was about that. And it is kind of funny, actually. <laughs> it sounds like it's a downer, but it's, it's actually kind of funny. Um, so I performed it myself twice after I initially wrote it and then kind of put it on the shelf. It was something really important for me to do at the time. It felt very cathartic. And I was at the same time very pleased with the writing. and I was, I was pleased with how it turned out. And then years later, I submitted it to a couple of festivals for women in theater, like a women's writing festival, and just kind of didn't really want to perform it myself. It was just kind of like, you know, I've sort of been there, done that. And so I asked um, a really a wonderful actress that I know named uh, Rebecca DeArnalis to perform it. And she just knocked it out of the park and was just wonderful on stage. And then she and her filmmaker husband, Michael DiBiazio, the three of us started chatting right then about, you know, this, this really feels like it could be a, a really a fun short film. And so we talked and talked about that. And so then I said, well, let me go back to the drawing board and, and, and see what I can do about you know, making it more filmic, because uh, it was a monologue and very monologue <laughs> very one person talking. So I added in a second character, and then kind of was able to pull back on a lot of the dialogue, because of course, the camera can tell a lot of things that I was relying on the dialogue before on the on her monologue before to do. So, um, so we did that. And then we did it. We shot it last year, we shot it in, um, in April of this year, and just finished post production on that. So yeah, that started as a, as a play, and I changed it into a, a screenplay for that. And now that that short film is in post-production, tell us about the journey ahead for you and that film. Obviously, now that it's done, I assume that's going to go the festival route, or what's your plan for it? Yeah, we are just now, since we just finished, you know, we've literally just like two weeks ago, we finished, um, you know, Michael and I were sitting, because Michael and I co-directed it, I I should mention that. We finished, you know, color and sound and finally locked it and everything. So um, we have just started to submit it to festivals. So yeah, you know, I'll have to kind of, keep you posted on that because that's, that's our that's our plan is we want to we hope it gets picked up by some festivals we think it will do well in the past i had one other short uh, went to festivals a short called whistle and snap which was it was a comedy you know it, we i took it to six different film festivals and that was a really just wonderful experience you just meet so many people and get so inspired and so i'm hoping that this one will have the same kind of pickup and we can take it all around and as far as Upcoming projects. Obviously, you've worked in different mediums. Do you think you would work on another short film after this? Do you think you'd go back to plays or TV scripts? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, 
you know, as I obviously mentioned, I do have, I have two kids and one of them has special needs. So I am one of the, um, one of those people who I have to really I have to choose my projects very carefully. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like if I, if I'm going to dedicate like the next year of my, of my writing time to something, it, it, I really want to make sure that I'm passionate about it. So yeah, I'm really itching to write another play. So I've started kind of noodling around, um, with that. And so that's, that's in progress and exciting to me. And I also am, I'm really kind of the first time really interested in writing some really first person doing some really first person writing, like just writing about myself as myself, which is not something that I've really done before. I think that I've always infused my writing with very personal, very vulnerable experiences, but, um, like literally everything I've written has been from a very kind of vulnerable, personal place, but always fictionalized, like always, you know, this is, I've never written about myself like ever. And so I'm starting to do that now. I have a giant folder on the desktop of my computer with, you know, dozens of small, more documents in it full of essays and potential blog posts and stuff like that. So that now that we wrapped up naked and now that we wrapped up Corey Vine, which both sort of happened at the exact same time, um, I'm really jazzed about moving forward with that. So I have kind of some big ideas for the new year, which is exciting. And once again, I'm kind of, now that I'm saying this out loud, (laughs) right again, in a totally different medium, (laughs) maybe, um, you know, like my uh, desire to move on to the next thing is kind of, kind of at play here. So. so we usually frame our episodes around themes. In this case, obviously you work in a lot of different mediums. I would love to discuss writing across a number of different mediums, graphic novels, plays, scripts. Does that sound cool? Yeah, that'd be great. Like fun. Awesome. So let's start with the inception of an idea. When you come up with an idea for, let's say, a play versus a film, a TV script, or graphic novel, where do you come up with your ideas? And does the creation or inception of these ideas, does it differ across those mediums? Sometimes. And I think it kind of depends on the project. Like, for instance, in the project that I just mentioned, Tea in the Afternoon, um, I I really wanted to write a one-person show. And the inception for that idea had to do with a dissatisfaction as an actor, you know, for finding like really meaty roles for myself. I mean, if I'm completely honest, that was really my primary motivation. It's like, you know, there really are not enough like really meaty roles for women, you know, in their that are beyond the ingenue type, but are not yet the, you know, the, the older character actress. Like I just wanted to write something, a really meaty role. And that was, that was my, that kind of like what set it off. So, and then it changed. And then the more I started to try to um, just write bits of, you know, thoughts and really kind of like let that idea mull around in my mind, um, the idea then became more of a traditional play. It became a, um, a story about with these two women instead of just the one, which I felt also really, you know, fulfilled that desire to create really, really meaty female roles. Um, cause it was like, Oh, well then I'm now I'm creating two. So that felt really right and really good. So for that, I think the desire to write a play started first. I, I sort of started with the, the medium. I, you know, I just had this like real desire. I was very, um, this just kind of where I was in my life. I just really wanted to write that. And then I found, I kind of landed upon my idea later. And then I, I know that the next play that I wrote, which is um, American Drum Circle, it was the other way around. Um, I really wanted to write something, and I wasn't sure what, about the relationship between the internet and modern life. And I wasn't sure exactly what that form would be. And probably because I was the most comfortable with playwriting, I landed on, on playwriting, but it didn't start that way. It started with just like this kind of like fuel about the idea and the concept and the... Um, 
you know, just kind of thinking I had on the, on the topic. And then, um, then I landed on, on the form. So I think it kind of depends. I think that probably I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I'm sure many other writers um, have that similar experience in terms of like, you know, like when you write something, you're, you're, you're really working on it and your, your thought life is pretty consumed with it for a, a long time. You know what I mean? Like a kind of making that jump into what your medium is going to be, what the form is going to be, you know, has a lot to do with where you are in your life at the moment, like where, you know, what things are going on, what you're thinking about, what memories you've got, like, and also what you care about, like, you know, like what, what's going on in the world and where your, where your passion lies. And, um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes one happens first, like you know what you want to write about. And then it's kind of like finding the perfect way to get that idea out. Or it's the other way, like just really having a, a desire to, you know, like, Ooh, I really, I've been seeing good plays and I just really want to like get some characters on stage in front of a live audience like that. There's something powerful about that desire of just uh, wanting to create that experience for an audience as well. Leading up to this interview, you had mentioned that you sometimes write from your deepest fears. How do you infuse your fears into your stories? You know, I, it's funny because I don't know that I intend to do that. <laughs> I just know that everything I've ever written, I write back and I go, oh, look. Like, you know what I mean? It's very, like, really revealing and really a lot of personal stuff that's just, I don't even know. I think if I was more aware that I was doing it as I was writing, I would probably be way too self-conscious and self-censored to have it actually land in the writing. So I, I think that that happens. I, I do think that my best writing has been around my most vulnerable experiences and feelings. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I do believe it's hard to, you know, walk around with this, but I, I do believe that our flaws and our, our big fears in life are really, you know, sort of like the mine from which we can really pull a lot of the gold. And I think that that's really what makes people unique and like gives you a, a unique voice as opposed to writing from all of your successes. <laughs> you know, like I know, for instance, Corey Vine, also, you know, getting back to the previous question as well, talking also about vulnerabilities that, um, you know, Leah and I, we started thinking about that project as a totally different medium as well. We wanted to create, we thought we were going to create a choose your own adventure story for the iPad. Like that's what we thought we were doing, you know, like just cause that's kind of like what people were doing at the time. So we were coming up with all these different, we knew it was going to be an adventure story and whatever. And then the more Leah and I talked about, like we, you know, we, and of course, Leah and I are very good friends. We've known each other for, for years. And so the more she and I talked, we kind of kept noticing that like our attention on this character was really, really kept going back to Corey, our protagonist, as having a disability. And um, it was very fictional. Corey lives in the future and she, um, she was born with a debilitating lung infection. And so everyone in the city lives in this domed, like under this big domed city, but she also lives in this um, life support, like a helmet. And so she feels very other and very apart and um, is very ostracized because of that. And as Leah and I were talking about it, we were just so drawn to that idea. You know, I'm sure myself because of my son and my um, years of dealing with his disability with autism. And then uh, Leah's father had uh, muscular dystrophy and was uh, wheelchair bound her whole life. And so we had this connection to disability to the, with these two extremely important people in our lives. So, I mean, that's really from talking about that, how Corey's disability, which is really central to the book, central to the entire plot, how that came front and center. Before that, she was 
you know, going to be like a, a courier, which is like how she got her name. <laughs> she was going to like cart things back and forth across the universe. And, and then it was just like, somehow that was like, nope, that's not what we're doing at all. And then once we landed on this adventure story, we were like, you know what, we need to drop the iPad idea. This feels like a graphic novel and let's put our energy behind um, figuring out how to do that. So that's what we, that's what we did. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writerexperience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. So for most writers, the step between coming up with that idea and starting to write the actual story is the outline phase. Not everyone uses an outline, but many do. Is there a difference in the outline stage across those different mediums, whether it's plays, scripts, graphic novels? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, at least for me, I obviously don't want to speak to for everybody, but for me, um, I found that, for instance, for plays, I sort of went at it differently. I sort of started writing snippets of dialogue, snippets of ideas. It was very about the writing, and then the outline sort of happened after that. You know what I mean? Like I didn't outline first. I, uh, I sort of let my, uh, I mean, playwriting is a very, um, it's a very playwright centric activity. I mean, there's not a lot of people infusing their ideas into your work. It's kind of your project. So it's, um, which is, I think one of the reasons why playwrights love being playwrights. <laughs> and so I definitely am a person who outlines, um, but the outline happens in playwriting for me much later. It's, a um, there's a generally a sense of really just relishing in scenes and writing scenes that you know we're probably going to get thrown away like this is just sort of like pulling out these ideas and then you know once you, once i feel like now i think i know what happens then the outline comes later but then there's always in a play for me a very loose outline like i'm always quite ready for the characters to take it a different turn that i have an outline and then change my outline to accommodate that whereas certainly in writing those TV spec scripts and most certainly for writing a graphic novel. I mean, the outline was key. Like, you know, for a graphic novel, you're very aware of the page. You're writing our issues. We have four issues, you know, four different books that together combined uh, make our graphic novel. And each one of them is 24 pages. And so like, you know, knowing exactly what my greater story is and then what's, where's my half point and where's, 
what happens at the end of book one, book two, book three, book four, and then what happens at the end of every page. Like all of that was figured out before I'd written a word. And then once you know what happens at the end of every page, then how many panels does that take? And, you know, like I outlined the entire book before I'd written a single description, a single line, any of it. And I wrote a giant story Bible about the world. I mean, it was, it's a very, you know, it's set in the future and it's a city on the moon that doesn't exist as opposed to my place, which was set in like, you know, Oklahoma, <laughs> you know? Um, so just required a lot of world building and imaginative work that we, all that was put down before any of the actual script for the book was written. So totally night and day different process for me. As far as when you're writing the work itself, how do you find the time? How do you balance it when it's not necessarily your full-time job? How do you juggle your day job with two kids and staying motivated? I mean, I think that that is the question. That, I, I think, is the primary job of someone uh, like me who is the primary caregiver for, for two children and needs to maintain you know, a nine-to-five or even just a part-time job. The goal in getting finished is staying motivated because I think if you're motivated to do it, then you find the time. For me, I wrote all of Corey Vine on my subway trips in and out of work. So I just decided that, you know, I would get on the A train at the 190th stop and I didn't have to get out until Fulton Street. So if I could make sure I got on the train, you know, by 8.05, I was guaranteed a seat. And so I, if I, once I sat down, I could just take my laptop back and forth. And usually I wrote on the way down when I was most motivated. And then I read what I wrote on the way home. Not always. You know, there were certainly some days where I just did nothing and daydreamed, but um, most of the time that was, you know, just kind of carving out that time. And, you know, and it's also, it's tricky because, you know, like, I mean, I live in New York City and I'm surrounded by, by writers who are writing full time. And so they're like, you know, yeah, I wrote five pages today. And like, my goal is to write five pages. And, you know, everyone talks about that write five pages rule. And to maintain your, your motivation when you're like, well, I wrote a page, I wrote one page today. And like some days I wrote half a page and some days I literally just did nothing but revise the page that I wrote last week. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like if to not compare yourself to what somebody else is doing, because, you know, at the end of the day, if you keep going, if you keep doing it, then a year from now, it'll be, it'll be done. It, now, granted, it might, if you had more time and you had the advantage of working on this, you know, more time in the day, sure, you could get it done in, in a month, but guess what? If you don't do it at all, you won't have anything. So if you just kind of, keep at it and remind yourself that it's a marathon, not a sprint and all that, all those cheesy expressions, but that are actually true, <laughs> um, you know, just kind of keep going and, um, and kind of like try to imagine a year from now, like looking back and what you'll have accomplished in a year, as opposed to looking back a week from now and, you know, what you accomplished last week, just like let the larger piece of what you're doing be your motivator and definitely don't compare yourself to to others who are, who are churning out more than you do, because that's, you know, it's, it's such a hard thing. I think in any, I mean, anybody who's writing and anybody who's pursuing something is, I think in their own way, very ambitious and very eager to get it done. And so it can be very, very frustrating to feel like you are fighting with time and you're, you know, like time is working against you. Like every, you know, like all of the forces are are keeping you from doing what you really want to do. Kind of, really working on yourself to keep that from not being an obstacle and letting it being something that pulls you forward, propels you forward and makes you actually make use of every moment. And even like, don't stop for the extra, you know, 
latte on the way because you know it'll put you late on the train and you won't get your seat. And if you don't get your seat, you can't write for your 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Like really just like making those rules for yourself so that you're propelled forward. Like, I mean, like one of the advantages of when I would write on the train is that knowing that I only had 30 minutes, like this is my only window of opportunity because I know that once I get home, like my real, you know, you work during the day and then my real job starts. Like it's actually like when I'm home, I'm working way harder than I am when I'm in the day job, you know, like it's, it's so much easier to be at work. So it's like, I, I cannot count on getting any ready. Every so often there'd be like that. Oh my goodness. My kids went to sleep and it's only eight o'clock. Like, you know, I can sit down and write. And that's like time that's gifted to you. But, um, you know, carving out that time that you make for yourself, like this is my time to write and really, really protecting it and, you know, sticking to it is, is I think, I think the key. And there's something about that that's also additionally motivating because by writing just such a little bit every day, my mind was never not on it. You know what I mean? It's just like, I would all like inevitably like that, you know, I'd come up to the chamber street soft and it's like, Oh no, Fulton is next. You know? And it's just like, Oh, you know, it's like, and it's like trying to like turn this, like finish this idea in your head and like writing really fast. And so you're inevitably like stopping in the middle of that. You just got in that zone. And so that feeling of frustration at like, oh, I had to stop if only I had another hour, but it carries you. It's almost like, because you're, you left in the middle of it. The next time you open your computer, it's, it's right there. Like you, you took no time to get right back into it. So you kind of have that muscle that you've developed of like, you know, this is my time. There's like writer's block is not an option. Like I will write in this time because if I don't, that's it. You had mentioned leading up to this interview, talking about how to make your day job, your dream job and bringing comics writing and video into the mix at the office. How do you do that? Well, I think there's a couple of important things about that. My day job is I work as the director of communications for a, a nonprofit called the Children's Tumor Foundation. And so my department is communication. So there's naturally, I do writing for my job. I write a lot of, a lot of things, you know, whatever, president's letter or whatever it is, you know. And so I think that what's important is you can, you have to be careful to sort of like walk the line when you have a, a day job, that, a fulfilling day job, because my, my job is actually very fulfilling. I'm not doing something outside of my wheelhouse, you know, like I'm actually using skills that, that make me happy. Like I, I enjoy what I'm doing, but if I sort of like extend myself so much for my day job, then I just have nothing left for my projects. But at the same time, if I don't extend myself for my day job, then I'm not fulfilled there. And I'm frustrated that I'm not able to do, to use that time for myself. So for me, what has been really helpful is to, to make sure that while I'm at work and while I'm focused on um, the work that I'm doing at the Children's Tumor Foundation, number one, I really believe in the work that the foundation is doing. And so that's key. It's a, it's, it's really important work. And I'm, I'm very, very glad to be a part of it. And so what's really been helpful is to view that as an opportunity to just to be building my skills, you know, so like really seizing every opportunity to write, even if this is not the kind of writing that I would do, you know, sometimes it's, you know, very sort of like healthcare related writing, but nonetheless, it's, it's writing and I'm, I'm building skills in an area and exercising that part of myself that's going to benefit me for the, for the personal writing that I want to do. And then also, I think that if you have the kind of job where you have the advantage of, you know, working hard and building a reputation with your colleagues, then I've been able to kind of like pull in more of the things I love doing. Like I've been, been able to pull in more video production and um, create a couple of YouTube series, you know, that I help organize and write 
And, um, and so that's like not only just fulfilling for me, but I'm also building skills in that area, meeting people, you know, meeting other editors and everything in the city that are great connections for me and great people to know. I recently, this last year, um, you know, we finished Corey Vine or we were finished as we were finishing up Corey Vine. We, I decided to write a comic short that's an explainer for the disease area that Children's Tumor Foundation is a nonprofit for, which is called neurofibromatosis. And um, it's just a four-page comic called Moxie and Sparks Explain NF1. And so I wrote the script and I worked with the storytelling team at Bottled Lightning to, to produce it together. And it's been remarkably well-received. And I believe in that as a tool for you know what I do at the Children's Tumor Foundation. I think that graphic medicine is doing is really important. And, um, and there's something so powerful about using comics to the combination of the images and the first person dialogue is a very, very useful way of explaining a difficult concept is um, extremely powerful. And I'm not obviously the first person to think of that. I'm following a trend across the country that, you know, people are really finding a way to use comics and sequential art to explain these concepts. And so that was really well received. And so, um, so much so that we have two more on the slate. We have, there's three different types of neurofibromatosis. And so uh, I'm getting ready to, I'm in the middle of writing a script for NF2, which is another type of neurofibromatosis. And then after that, we'll follow an explainer short for schwannomatosis. And then after that, who knows, I have all kinds of ideas. I'm tossing around doing a comics anthology with some other orgs with some rare disease. So you know, like this is obviously a personal passion of mine, you know, so not only am I doing something that I love at my day job, but I'm in a position where I can, you know, meet other comic artists through this opportunity to work for the Children's Tumor Foundation. And then we can hopefully work together on uh, personal projects as well. So kind of motivates me to really pursue those projects in both arenas, home and at work. We talked about the outline earlier, as far as actually sitting down and writing the content the meat of the story, so to speak, for all these different mediums. I know this is a loaded question, but tell us about those processes and how do they compare across mediums? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very different. I think the outline is a very personal... I think everybody probably writes an outline a different way. For me, an outline for a play is, is much more loosely based. It's, um, it has less to do... I mean, when you're watching a play, no one knows what page you're on. You know what I mean? Like it's a visual, the audience is just part of it. So it right. doesn't matter how far, how, how many pages in, you know, until I get my big inciting incident. It doesn't matter. I mean, I generally know because, you know, you like, we've all read Save the Cat and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like you generally are sort of like, oh, around page eight, this is when this happens or whatever. But nobody watching it has any idea what page you're on. Like they're just viewers. They're watching it. So those kinds of outlines for me were much more, you know, like, I mean, I definitely would have some, some idea of page and where I wanted things to happen, but that was just very, very loose. It was just like, basically like this happened and then this happens and then that makes this happen. And then that makes this happen. And then that makes this happen. And then this is the big problem and we get to our resolution. You know what I mean? Like, so that would, that's kind of big ideas, one big idea to the next big thing and to the next big thing. Um, you know what I mean? And I, and I also in a play, I was very willing to write it very long because it's just me. I'm just, I'm, I'm not writing for a writer's room. I'm not writing for, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just writing it. And it, 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 it sometimes it's just fun to write. And so that's, it's freeing. It's fun. It feels good to do. And so you're sort of like very loosely following your outline without like a sense of having to stick to a certain 
a certain number of pages or, or whatever. I mean, certainly plays are various different lengths, you know, like something you'll go to a, a 90 minute play, you'll go to a two and a half hour long play, you know? So it's like the play as a art form, really like the length accommodates the story, not the other way around. You're not trying to shrink your story into a certain time frame. So there's room. There's that's, I think that's why playwrights love writing plays is because like, let my, let my idea rise to, the amount of attention I think this audience will, will give it. Like all that matters is that they're engaged. However long it needs to be, if they're engaged, that's how long it needs to be. Whereas of course, if you're writing a TV show, it's very regimented. Like this is as long as it is. It's got to fit in this 22 minute right. window here. And so, you know, you've still got to have your, your stakes and you've still got to have the, all of those same turns. And, you know, but the, at the same time, you also have the advantage of the camera to tell so much of the story that, you know what I mean? That, in a play, you don't have that advantage. You really have to put it in the dialogue. And so it's just very different. You know, the outline when I was writing my two TV specs, which are, of course, completely like catapulted me into writing the graphic novel, were very detailed. You know what I mean? Like I literally was so detailed in my outline that once I sat down to actually start writing it, it just, it was like practically written already. It was just natural. Like there was, I don't think I deviated at all in writing it from the outline. And I, submitted my, you know, I was in a workshop. And then after that, I, I took it to my writer's group, you know, and I, I scrutinized the outline story perspective before I wrote anything at all, which is a completely backwards, completely opposite to what I was doing for playwriting. And then the same thing was true for, for Corey Vine. And because, you know, the pages, everything like the, you know, like you're literally looking at, you know, panel one, and then getting across the spread. And then like, what happened, what makes people turn every single page, which I found really, really like a puzzle was really just like trying to make like, oh, wait, I can't, that can't happen at the middle of that page. It really needs to happen page before. So like, you know, either shrinking that, shrinking the action itself, or, or how can I get from A to B either more quickly, or how can I, how can I stretch this moment out and make it more suspenseful so that, so that we can, you know, I can get them hanging on so that they turn the page and then it's like, oh, right. So yeah, that line was very, very, very detailed for our graphic novel. Are you ready for something we call a series of seemingly random questions? <laughs> I don't know. First question. Is there one thing that you would say that writing across all of these different mediums has in common? Is there a, a theory of everything, so to speak? I would say imagination. I think that they ignite the same part of your imagination across all mediums. You know, I think that for me, the act of writing is like being in a virtual reality thing. You know what I mean? Like your imagination is tickled. Like that same part of your mind that's tickled when you write is, is the same across mediums. I don't think there's a, I don't think that deviates. The next question in your Twitter bio, you mentioned your two kids won't go to bed, which begs <laughs> the question, are you a night writer or a morning writer? Well, I'm a morning writer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I do. I have a, a 11 year old who struggles with anxiety. And so sleeping is a challenge. And then I have a two and a half year old who is a two and a half year old. Let's just leave it at that. So yeah, um, me thinking that I'm going to, I'm going to be able to stay up after the kids go to bed is <laughs> yeah, but doesn't happen. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm absolutely a morning writer. And if I'm really, really having a, a really good day, sometimes I can, you know, my, I, I, my alarm goes off every morning at five o'clock. Sometimes the kids are still asleep and I can squeeze in. I, I used to do that a lot. And, but lately, like in the last couple of years, um, since I've had my daughter, that's not really possible. However, we're getting, <laughs> she's coming in a little bit later. So I'm hoping to get back to some morning writing. 
The next question, if you could take any writer, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant, which writer, which restaurant, and why? <laughs> uh, I do love this question, I have to say. So I think, I, you know, I, I, I can expand it to, you know, writer, creator. I, I, I'm a huge fan, or, you know, of the career of uh, Jim Henson. All of the things that he, all of the writing he did, all of the things he created, all the world he created, and um, his artistry. And so I think I would take Jim Henson to Sonic. Are you familiar with Sonic? I think I've been once. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, it's very, very. We've got like the big was, drinks. Yeah, the big drinks, and it's like a drive-in. You you pull in, and then like somebody comes out to your car, uh, you know, and they have like the for years they had the styrofoam cups. I don't know if they still do anymore, but. So they had the really good styrofoam cups with the like rabbit pellet ice. Terrible for the environment. All of it's terrible for the environment. But the drinks are so good. So terrible. But I would take him to Sonic and we would we would sit in the car and we would, um, you know, shoot the breeze about Kermit and Miss Piggy and all that. If you could choose one puppet and or Muppet that could accompany you on this Sonic journey with Jim Henson, which would you choose? Oh, well, Miss Piggy. Absolutely. Miss Piggy. I mean, my hero. Absolutely. Yeah. She's everything about Miss Piggy. I like want to be her. Love it. The next question, if you could choose one learning or insight from your career and experience across all of these different mediums to pass along to those writers listening, what would you say? Wow. That is a really good question. One, I would say for writers in a similar place in life that I am, I would say just, um, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Don't really really put blinders on in terms of like comparing your success to others and comparing your, your journey to others. And just, if you have to write, you have to write. And so, so do it. You have no choice. Just, just keep writing. Bonus question. I know that you sometimes self produce the works that you work on. Is there a benefit to self publishing or self producing your works as opposed to going to someone else for this or pitching to like a comic book company? I think there is, I think there's a, um, I think that on a number of levels, when you do it yourself, you're very in control of it. Like you're, you know, you, not just from a business point of view, not from just the like, well, you know, all the profits come to you, all the, but all of the, all of the ownership, all of the artistic ownership is yours and all of just the entire process is yours. And, um, there's something very empowering. I hate using the word empowering because I feel like it's, everyone says that it's overused, but it, it is, it's, it is though. It's very empowering. It's very like, you know, like I don't, I created this thing and I, there's obviously a benefit to querying, getting publishers to you know put, put it on their platform, but there's also something really important about just doing it, just doing it yourself and not waiting and not having to expend so much of your energy in the in getting someone else to do it for you and just being like, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it myself and I'm gonna do something else while I'm still doing that. That I think is a huge benefit, just a huge benefit of of doing that, especially from a theater perspective. Been sort of like a it's been a, a real movement in theater communities. Like it, the barrier to entry has just really been lowered and you can, you know, people are, it used to feel like, well, if you self-produced your work, it must not be very good or you must, you know, you must not be serious about it or whatever. But like more and more you see serious creators just not waiting and just like, this is my thing and I'm doing it. And so that's exciting because it really, it means that much more, much more theater and much more, much more performance stuff that is not commercially viable is actually out there and people have access to it as opposed to just the stuff that would sell tickets and just the stuff that stars are going to align themselves to. And so it just creates much more variety in the arts. So I think that 
all of those are the advantages of doing that. Last question, drum roll, please. I'm opening the envelope. And the question is, did you have fun with us today? Oh, what an easy question. <laughs> yes, I had a great Awesome, time. awesome. So, so far, no one has said no, but someone <laughs> might have been lying. You never know. We had a lot of fun, too. Before we go, did you want to plug anything? Obviously, Corey Vine is available on Comixology now. The short film, Naked in Post-Production. Anything you want to shout out or your Twitter handle, anything at all? I guess I will just, um, you know, shout out the Corey Vine Twitter and website because I think it's a little hard to spell. So it's Corey, which is C-O-U-R-I-V-I-N-E. So yeah, it's Corey Vine on Twitter and CoreyVine.com and Corey Vine on Mixology and then I'm Vanessa Sheely everywhere. So come say hi. Well, thank you, Vanessa. We had a lot of fun, and we appreciate your insights, your time. Great. Thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.